0: This week's Wind Trade Global Talk is brought to you by Dr. Yvonne Thompson, CBE, and Julia Stark, co founders of Wind Trade Global Talks, featuring Gina Miller, co founder of SCM Direct and Campaigner.
1: Welcome to this week's Wind Trade Global Talks. As you know, my name is Yvonne Thompson, and my partner in crime, as usual, is Julia. So, Hi guys. So this week we have the amazingly wonderful lady, Miss Gina Miller. Okay, so what we're going to do is just do a very quick run through so that you guys know what an exciting set of speakers that we have for you. Our very first pilot was with Nadim Zahawi, the MP for business and industry. Well, we continued with the fabulous Nicola Mendelssohn. Last week, we had Basma al-Sayed, Her Highness. This week is Gina. And next week, we have Akmaral Batalova.
0: Welcome. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Welcome.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Great to see you, great to see you. You know, we've been waiting to hear from you and be inspired by you for some time. What I would love for you to do is just dive straight in because, like we know, like most be- busy people, you don't have a huge amount of time for us, uh, and the time that you do have is going to be very precious. So, Gina Miller, welcome to Win Trade Global Talks.
3: My name is Gina Miller, and my Win Trade Global Talk is entitled "Responsibility: Collective and Individual." Like so many women, I'm a juggler, a mother, businesswoman, campaigner for thirty years but there have been very many low points and high points. Of the numerous campaigns, the high points for me have been fighting for my special needs daughter, now 32, in a system back then which had very little support, medical, educational, or social, unless of course you had money, because money gave you access to a better outcome for your special needs baby. And I just felt that was wrong that that was a right that all parents should have, that all children should have. So fighting for her, if you like, awoke the lioness in me. And through the lessons of the law and politics, I had learned from both my father and my training. I realized that rights and progress needed to be protected by legislation, which led me to my first huge campaign, which achieved text, I can't tell you, it was such a huge learning curve, being a young mother, but it led to text in the Educational Act of 1996 to strengthen the right for education for pupils with special needs and also advice for parents and a formal dispute resolution. Later came my work on addressing modern-day slavery. Believe it or not, there is an estimated 5.5 million mainly women and children, trafficked around the world every year. Together, my husband and I funded a report back in the UK in the mid-noughties, which helped to draft the Modern Day Slavery Bill that Mrs. Prime Minister May, actually she was then Home Secretary May, brought to Parliament. As a member of an organization called the Centre for Social Justice, I also co-authored two Breakthrough Britain reports on poverty and a report on how improving governance and sustainability for small charities was vital to the fabric of our society. Later, I raised my voice to talk about domestic violence and domestic coercion and behavior that affects the health of not just women, but children and families. As a survivor of domestic violence, I can bring a voice, not just of experience, but one that can dismiss a lot of the myths around domestic violence, that it only happens to weak women, that it doesn't happen to people who are successful. Coercive behavior can corrupt anybody's life. It is the act of a coward who wants to control. And that is why I've been speaking up about domestic violence for 16 years, which patiently brought change in the law in the UK in the Act that's going through Parliament and has just started going through Parliament this year. Using the law has also been the thing that probably brought me to your attention. Using the law to protect democracy, the constitution and parliamentary sovereignty from an overarching executive attempting to put themselves above the law was something I did without hesitation, because it is a responsibility I carry carry with me every day, a responsibility I think we all have to use our civic voice to speak up when things are going wrong. As a young campaigner, there was much to learn And the lessons I have learned over 30 years that I'd like to share with you today are that you don't start off with a strong voice. It is actually something you can learn and it does not necessarily come naturally. But the more you use your voice, the more you exercise your responsibility, the better you become at it. In fact, it becomes part of your personality. You can't remember not being the way you are now. Silence simply ceases to be an option. Speaking out becomes a responsibility, but you need patience, and tenacity. 50 percent of speaking up and being responsible is taking that initial decision to speak up. The rest of it is tenacity and sheer hard work. But you need patience because change takes time. It takes time to roll back hate unconscious biases and institutions that do not reflect modern mindsets. You also need to stay alert because as you become more successful, you will find a little like a honey pot. You will attract an awful lot of different people, but you need to stay alert about those you attract, their conflicts of interest, their egos. Those who may have a different agenda and wish to detract you from yours, you need to stay alert and focus, forensically focus, on the outcomes you are wishing to achieve. But you don't always have to be visible to be front and centre. Often, being an active campaigner, a successful campaigner, using your voice of responsibility can happen in the background. I often collaborate with others. I often use my particular skills or ability to connect to help an outcome where I am invisible in in the campaign. But that invisibility does not mean that I'm not active. It actually gives me some protection sometimes to be even more effective than I would have been if I was the one leading from the front. Which takes me back to my childhood. I had the good fortune of having parents who took their responsibility of raising us with values and principles that laid the foundations of me and my siblings being active citizens very seriously. They also talked about their heritage, who they were, their successes, their failures, not an airbrushed version of themselves. Sometimes, Something I do with my children and I would encourage all parents to do with theirs, to let them know who you really are. Because when your children know who you are, they better understand who they are. They understand the sacrifices and the paths that their ancestors have taken them to enjoy, to the place where they can enjoy today's freedoms and privileges, so that they are responsible too in checking that privilege. My father was a humble, wise, kind man of the law, who would explain that justice is not about the law sitting on legislative books or in lawyers' offices or courtrooms, but in how people live their lives, how you help them to solve their problems and to protect them and make sure that they are treated fairly. That lawyers are not just the guardians of the law, the enablers of justice. My mother, the strict one, educated me into knowing and understanding that education can dismantle barriers of dis- discrimination. It can actually bring people closer together, that education is a gift that must never be undervalued. She also had a saying that don't take things for granted, it could all be gone tomorrow, which is why I always try to check my privilege and my responsibility. Like so many of my parents' generation, we looked at the UK as being the place where Lu- Eldorado was, even though some people think, Guyana, where I came from, British Guyana formerly, was where El Dorado was. And we looked to Britain as a place of tolerance, of kindness, of leadership, of responsibility, how those things have been damaged in the last decades. So we need to step up to our responsibility to make sure that they are preserved. In my case, we always planned that I would come to the UK, but not till sixth form. But in 1975, in Guyana, we had a dictator who was using race and division to destabilize our country. My father was instrumental in trying to form a centrist party that would bring people together. And through his work, my eldest brother and I were threatened, which is how we came to be sent to the UK at such tender ages of 10 and 12. But I came to the UK knowing that I had a place in the world, which meant that I could be responsible for the world that I live in, not just take it for granted because of those early values and principles that my parents armed me with. But the experience in the UK was not as the books I had been reading in the pages of Dickens or the Bronte sisters. It was a place that I found we were treated not as British, even though we were British. And don't let anyone rewrite the history and say the Windrush generation were immigrants, second class immigrants, or not asked to come to build a better Britain. My parents were. My aunts and uncles were, we work here to do what was right together with those who lived here, to build a better Britain because it was the thing, the country we loved. Don't let anyone say that we came here as second-class citizens. So when I came and I discovered that there was that bias, I decided from a very young age that I would speak up to be the person or bring a voice to Britain that would help us come together. For the Britain I wanted to live in, and I wanted my children to eventually live in, and now the country I still want my children to live in. Against that history of my background and my experiences, and what I felt were the values that made you a responsible citizen, it is not difficult to understand why I was determined in the face of terrible abuse, often death threats, media, propaganda, about why I was bringing my constitutional case, that I was not going to be deterred. It did not matter the abuse I was receiving. I was not going to give up my fight to protect what I feel is one of Britain's greatest gifts, our representative democracy, our parliamentary sovereignty, our constitution. In fact, those who sent me abusive letters and don't be deceived into believing that abuse is just online, I got letters, dolls with pins in it, presents, supposedly, of white powder. The abuse then, as it still carries on now, comes from all directions and for very very different reasons. But I have always felt that if someone is abusing you, not the words you're saying, the content of your argument, or the campaigning you're doing, then you're probably winning already. Because if you were a quiet voice, if you had, no intellectual rigour in what you were saying and doing. They would be attacking what you were saying and doing, and not you. So what the abusers failed to understand is that they empowered me to carry on, because I felt, why are they so frightened of this woman of colour? Why are they so terrified? Why are mainstream media spreading propaganda about why I was bringing this important case, possibly one of the most, or well, both cases, the most important cases for 400 years? So they simply, forgot to check their own behavior. In fact, having the quirky mindset that I do, I thought I'm going to stay on this new platform. I'm going to keep on keeping the gov- holding the government to account. Because unfortunately, our professional politicians today seem to put themselves, their careers and their parties before the people and the country. So civic responsibility has now taken on a new importance because Those in positions of power I have discovered over the last four or five years, be it in places of business, institutions, society, celebrity, and yes, politicians, are not exercising the responsibility that they should. The integrity that means that the country comes before everything else. The honesty that means that we can trust what they are doing and saying. And in that gap, we need to take up the mantle. We collectively can be a stream of consciousness where we can wash away irresponsibility and bring back sense and semblance to our society, to bring back competence, kindness, and collaboration. That means that we don't see each other as standing one in front of each other, but side by side. And when we fall, we can reach out and help pick up the other person. That is why I believe so much in the concept of responsibility, individually, collectively, and also, I'd say, my third pillar of responsibility is capitalism. Responsible capitalism will only serve to better our world. The aggressive pursuit of profit has led to many gaps in our society. It has led to much unhappiness and misery. It has led to people hurting other people. It has led to the denial of hope, of progress, of equality, And that is why I think we need to step up, speak to each other in words of kindness, but yes, too, in words of responsibility. But before I go, I wanted to say that the diversity clock is something that we also have to talk about in terms of responsibility. We see, as COVID has struck the world, that trends that had already started, where we had already started talking about the environment, about corporate behavior, about diversity, about racism, about division, and now being amplified in a way that we never thought possible. But I can tell you that change will not happen overnight if we leave it up to the other person or somebody else to take up the mantle. Change will only come if we put in the hard work that is going to be required to ensure that change is not just fundamental, but robust and will last for our children and our children's children. And that requires us raising our voices of responsibility in the way that I don't believe we have done for generations. My name is Gina Miller, and that was my Wind
0: Trade Global talk. Wow. Wow, it was beautiful.
1: <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gina. As usual, inspiring, informative. We've had a lot of comments about. Your resilience and your strength and your emotional intelligence, and all the things that got you so far. So, I don't know if you can just give us some tips about mindset and determination and not being put off your focus, especially, you know, throughout your campaign with looking after your daughter, your lovely daughter. With and, and your children actually, not just the one daughter. And how do you do it? How do you juggle everything? If you decide on something, um, you've got to be prepared.
3: It's I say it's a bit like preparing to go onto the stage or to be prepared to do anything. You need to put the preparation into it. And part of that preparation is looking after yourself because it's very easy uh-huh. to get pulled in lots of different directions. And I've spoken to many campaigners over the years who, say, you know, are very successful, but then when you talk to their families and their children, they feel neglected. They feel that they have been left behind and that they've paid the price for you being an activist. So it's taking the time to not just prepare yourself, but prepare your family and your friends around you if you are going to go on this journey of activism, because you need their support and you'll need them their understanding as well as your own strength. And i think that's something that's really important to include them in your journey and the second thing i'd say is that be mindful of how you preserve your own energy because it is very taxing and it will take it out of you you know you're, you're physically and mentally it is exhausting fighting for others if you decide to but then there are those who will take away from your energy not just the people who are being negative but those who want to ride on your co- coattails, as it were, or those who want you to um, fight for their campaigns. I mean, I am inundated with people who expect that I should you know, take every court case going, or that I should fight for every women's campaign, that every domestic violence charity, I should be on their board. So you just have to see, be, I, I mean, I always respond to every request, that's one thing, because I think that's only respectful that I do, because they've obviously reached out to me. So I try to respond, or I respond to everything, even it might take a little longer for some responses. But then I use my energy in where I think I can be most useful. Sometimes it's just connecting people because the minute you commit yourself, there's nothing worse in my view than to doing half a job and letting people down. I think it's about really understanding where your strengths lie and how you can help people best that reach out to you and their campaigns but you've got to look after yourself. You've got to eat well. You've got to look after yourself, your own voice, your own, you know, it's so easy to give and to not remember that you are, if you are the instrument, if you like, you need to look after that instrument. You need to take care. And, you know, I I know from this that my back will go or my voice will go or my shoulder. you know, you can almost physically see yourself in the mirror where your shoulders, you can almost see the weight on your shoulders. And so it's remembering to breathe, remembering to listen to your own inner voice, to take time out and come back. Because if you stay strong and resilient, then your fight will be strong and resilient. And it's so easy for other people to try and take that away from you. And the last thing I'd say is the negative energy. Being a Bruce Lee fan, (laughs) um, there's that saying, it's taking the negative energy and learning to redirect it. And that's what I do with abusive voices. I try to understand where they're coming from. And I use that to empower me to carry on.
0: Wow. That, that wow, Yvonne, sense. Yvonne, I'm sorry, but I think Gina just gave a summary of the Bali retreat. She oh just already, she knows. <laughs> this lady knows. That's well, what I was
1: thinking. And actually, when you talk about, you know, uh, I I notice it when we do these events, immediately after that, um, you know, you get asked, people just ask and ask and ask of you. So I know exactly what you're saying.
3: To resist the temptation to become tough. And when I say that, I mean, because there's this perception that you've got to be this tough, hard, ballsy woman or whatever it is to be, but actually staying soft and flexible and feeling makes you one of the most powerful campaigners because you need to feel people. You need to feel with not, not just intellectually, but with your heart. You've got to feel people's pain. You've got to feel people's anxiety. You've got to feel. So resisting that temptation to become tough and to know everything I think is really important because you've got to stay human.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think every week, We've had people giving examples of that airline instruction, you know, put your own mask on first, make sure you're okay before you start trying to help others. Nice. So that's a really good. Sherry Dixon. Hello.
2: Hello. 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 What a beautiful, beautiful conversation. I was oh. so gross. I was so gross, all of you, that I... <laughs> Forgetting that I was in Guyana, and (laughs) girl, technology isn't technology great? It's brilliant,
1: amazing.
2: It it was so funny to hear Guyana because obviously I I say Guyana. Guyana, I think that is the proper way of saying it. It's wonderful. <laughs> and it's nice to have heard your recollection of your past and, and the strict upbringing of your parents because I know that Diane in there because Yvonne's one too, aren't you, darling? Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. the way that we were brought up is with that respect and strict uh, strictness, which ultimately in the end we, we, um, we gain from. So thank you. Thank you for repeating that. My question, before I go on and on, as the public relations director of Women Chamber of Commerce and Industry in Guyana, it's the very first one, by the way. What message will you give young aspiring women in business in the Caribbean, but particularly in Guyana? That's a tough one.
3: No, 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 no. From my experience, because, you know, as I said, I'm on my fifth business and, um, don't take no when the money men say no it's very difficult as a woman to get access to finance it's so easy for them to say to come up with excuses why they couldn't give you can't give you money and i think you without and it's not even in the first year it tends to be when you're on that growth spiral so when you and you're looking to expand your business that third to fifth year time when you really need growth money is when so many businesses deny it or so many lenders deny it to women. And actually you've got, you've proven your concept. You have already done that bit, the hard work if you like. So it's don't give up at that stage because that is the, you know, you either survive or not survive at that stage. Because quite often you've borrowed money, you've used your own, you've saved up in the first bit to get it going. But it's the growth stage that's really most important. So I'd say that, you know, the money matters. And do not take no at that point you've got to keep on banging on their doors you've got to release those funds at that stage
1: thank you so much thank you ladies thank Thank you you. and um, yeah you never know we might get a retreat or a delegation coming down your way soon so watch out (laughs) thanks a lot bye bye Bye. bye bye for now
0: Well, Yvonne, I have a question, Yvonne, because I wrote that down too. You talked, Gina, about responsible uh, capitalism, and that's a very good one, because as a founder of different business programs for women in business, uh, we do face the challenges with funding and growth money, like you just mentioned and I love when you say, like, don't have this uh, to be seduced to being this tough, hard women. And this is what we do see with successful businesses that women do lose themselves and lose their uh, part of femininity or emotional intelligence at certain mm-hmm. point. But actually, I'm um, so tell us more about the responsible capitalism, because this is a good one and often resonates with women a lot.
3: So I started talking about this back in 1996, (laughs) believe it or not, because I've always felt that the the aggressive pursuit of uh, of profit actually damages people and the planet. So I've been talking about this triple bottom line where we have a different accounting system where we take people, profit and planet in equal measure. And we look at how a corporate or an organization is operating in all three of those strands. That's now moved on to something people are now talking about called ESG, you know, environmental, uh, social, uh, sustainability and governance. But I worry that now it's become almost a marketing tool. If you really want to be a responsible capitalism, you can't just do bad business with one hand and write a check to a charity or whatever with the other hand. That is not what responsible capitalism is about. In my field of finance, I believe the responsible capitalism is ensuring that everybody has access to finance and that we don't create um, a society where we have uh, people who can access bank accounts. I mean, around the world, there's something like 46 million people who don't have access to finance, which is an extraordinary field when we live in such a modern world. Um, but it's not, so it's how you behave as a business, how you behave in your business 24 hours a day. So it's not what you do after hours, it's how you, it's your staff, it's your products, it's your services. And I have to say, one of the things I find again really positive coming out of COVID is that what we're seeing is, I mean, I've been told in the past that my businesses were too much mama and papa businesses, that the language is too soft, we weren't professional enough, which basically it was just dismissing the fact that, the, that you had a conscience. Um, but responsible capitalism is about having, is, is understanding your place in society. So giving back to the society that enables your success you has to be a part of good business.
0: That's a beautiful answer. Thank you so much, Gina. It resonates with many of our attendees here. And this is also what inspired me working with Yvonne. Yvonne is doing also so much for women in business. And this is like, I celebrate you both in there. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. So Gina, before we start to let you go, it would be really good to get your take on the state of the world today, especially (laughs) as far as Black Lives Matter. What do you feel about that? You know, how, how, what is your position on that?
3: I think with a lot of the things, the trends that we're starting, I mean, I think we're in a place where it'll be pre-COVID and post-COVID. I think this will be a defining moment in our history. And unlike other defining moments, it will be global because of the connectivity we have today through the internet and technology. And the fact that the world is so much smaller and the issues we have facing us, are issues without borders, be it environmentally, racially, you know, right-wing politics, none of these things have borders. What I think at the moment is that mm-hmm. issues that were dismissed in the past will be taken more seriously now, in the future. And when I talked about us walking side by side, this moment, and one falls and you st- you help them stand up again. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it's a Black Lives Matter, and we have to come together and help them stand up together. And the one thing I do say, and I'm worried about, as I'm always very wary and worried about, is how campaigns and issues become politicized. And we have to be very aw- alert to that because what I've seen in politics, not just in the UK, and I've experienced and seen it close up in the UK, but around modern, you know, the Western world, is a division that is being um, sort of, if you like, the fire is being lit under division amongst different minority groups. They're mm-hmm. setting them one against the other because that helps those who are sowing the seeds of division. We saw that leading up to Brexit, where one community was being t- set against the other community. We're seeing it now with Black Lives Matter. I mean, Yvonne, you were kind enough, and you know, the organisation who, who, back in 2017, voted me the most powerful black person in the UK. Right. That was an incredibly brave thing to do, because the backlash I got after that, I mean, we talked about why we did it, because it was about bringing communities together. But I had, um, you know, people in the black community saying, "Why can you win that? You're not black." I had people from the Asian community saying, "How dare you accept that award? You're not black." And I was thinking, "Hang on a minute. This is we must be mindful that we're not setting one race against the other, because the people who are doing that division are actually the ones who want power and want to win. So we have to stand up for each other. And at this moment in time, is Black Lives Matter. 100 years ago, it was women getting the vote. In 100 100- time, it'll be something else. But we have to stand up for each other. Because if we take oxygen from one group, it denies it and gives it to us. We all need to breathe together.
1: That's that's totally amazing. Is there a difference between responsible capitalism and social enterprise?
3: I don't think uh, there is any particularly one form of of responsible capitalism. Well, I think a responsible capital takes different sort of different forms. There isn't any one company or one format or legal enterprise, I think, that would erase that. It could be from a charity to an NGO to a social enterprise. Actually what I'm more interested in is what we would see traditionally as corporations acting with responsible capitalism. Because I think somebody who's already registered a social enterprise, who has already started an NGO, already done a charity, or already have a business model with a conscience. So I'm talking about what we saw as hard-nosed corporates and the way they work. And, you know, we've got at the moment through the COVID crisis, we've seen businesses who have reached out and are doing things differently. And actually, I, mean, I know, for example, law firms who are spending a huge amount of time trying to help people have access to courts. But then at the same time, I've seen banks who are supposed to be giving bounce back loans denying them to people and then offering their own more expensive products. Well, that's not capitalism. And by the way, that happened in the last financial crisis and you know, it'll be my next campaign for when we come out of this because I can see the banks behaving very badly after this and probably taking away a lot of people, assets and businesses and asset um, gathering. So you know, we have to be, that's what I mean about how you behave responsibly. It's not necessarily in the business model. It's actually how you engage with your clients. Totally. Uh, What I would say is post-COVID, whenever that is, we will have an economic downturn like we've never seen. The people who talk about it being like the Great Depression, like being, you know, post the Spanish flu or the Second World War, I would just say that this is demand and supply side. This is global. This is not just in one country. We have not seen anything like this before. There are no comparisons. And what I fear is that we have an inexperienced government where we have an ideology in our government, which means that we all have to stay alert because under the cover of economic survival, rights could be taken away, lives could be diminished. And the one thing that has happened in nearly every economic downturn afterwards has been that women have been targeted. And women, we could lose our place in the workplace, there are talks of we should be taking up the jobs at home. We should be, look at what's happening in the lockdown. You know, there is going, there may well be a disproportionate effect yeah. on women in society coming out of COVID and Brexit together. And I'd say, be alert, be mindful and don't let them roll back what we have won and our forebearers have won over a hundred years.
0: Yeah, Thank wow.
1: you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> what an inspirational talk. Absolutely. Gina, thank you as always. Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Bye
0: bye, Gina. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Wow. We did it. It was an amazing talk. And so, I mean, so much was resonating. And I was writing down the words, the some quotes that Gina said. And as I said, when, when she was describing the way we women should be in business and the holistic way of it, it reminded me again, as I said, like it was like Gina was describing the goal of our retreats, our yeah. goal was to unite women. That's what I was
1: absolutely thinking as she was speaking. So we, we,
0: we, I hope she'll be there as well and not only at conference but also as you uh, just mentioned yeah. before the membership is launched quite recently yeah. and yeah. Because again the intention was to create a holistic business we also together with Yvonne we believe it's not only about money money is a mean it's something you could do it the intention is actually to help women create a holistic life and this is where Bali is all about. For
1: those of you who don't like to travel miles and miles or many, many hours, quite often I like to get away from the UK and Europe as far as possible. So um, this is a great opportunity to do it. But for those of you who don't like to travel too much, we will be sharing with you next week, a, a retreat that we will be holding in the UK. If distant travels, or if there are any, there's anything that prohibits you from coming to Bali with us, including budgets and family and all sorts of things, we have another opportunity, which is going to be in Devon. In a manor house in devon and we'll tell you more about it very shortly next week or so we have different levels with the membership there are four different levels there is a free membership a business level executive and envoy and if you'd like to know more
0: thank you for being here today as well i hope this talk was inspirational today as well next week
1: we have got amazing women all over the world and Admiral Batalova, who is going to be Yulia's main guest next week.
0: She's a work correspondent and she has seen the role, she things that she's doing, the charities, the support, and um, things she's, she has seen, wow. just breathtaking. So looking forward to get your feedback. There is this wall of love as Yvonne has called oh, it, yes. don't forget the wall please
1: please people can give us some testimonies and then what happens is we will publish your photo your name your email and your testimony so there's a little bit of networking going on there as well all right we'll say bye for now thank you all see you soon bye for oh, now bye, guys. bye. <laughs>